0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the CG Garage, this is episode number 424 featuring Chris Brown who is the uh, global visual effects supervisor over at Sony Pictures Animation. Uh, but more importantly, he's actually a, also a writer and director uh, who's done a ton of very interesting shorts, award-winning shorts, uh, and it's been really cool to talk to him about that. Uh, we get into his uh, early childhood where he actually talked about running around with a camera, not too dissimilar from the kids from Super 8 in a lot of ways, which is kind of fun trying to capture the world around him. Uh, led him to a very interesting career. Uh, which he talks us about and which also got him to do his first short, which he uh, put out and actually got some interesting awards and recognition for him. Uh, and then that eventually led to him sort of starting his own company called Digital Alchemy which he did very well, and uh, now sort of led to his career over at Sony Pictures Animation. So really cool background in his career, but we also talk a lot about his shorts and his ambitions as a director and as a writer, uh, and uh, we talk specifically about his latest one called Pleroma, uh, which is uh, very cool, and talk about the techniques that he used for that and how uh, how he did it, uh, and a really kind of interesting, interesting path for him. So it was really great talking to Chris. He's a super nice guy, and I can't wait to see what he does next. All right, we don't have any uh, specific products or events going on right now, but of course you can always just go to chaos.com slash events if you want to check out any events coming up. Uh, and if you want to check out anything going on at the podcast, just go to chaos.com slash garage. Uh, and then if you go, that, will, all of the podcasts are recorded there or posted there. So you can always check out previous episodes there. Uh, you can always go to our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash podcast. And of course, if you want to watch us, uh, very, very popular now, these days. A lot of people are watching podcasts on YouTube. Uh, Just go to our YouTube page, which is uh, youtube.com slash chaosgrouptv. If you have any suggestions for podcasts, uh, we would love to hear from them. This one was a suggestion, so we would love to hear more of them. Uh, That is labs at chaos.com is our email. That's the best way to reach us, labs at chaos.com. All right, but for now, please enjoy episode number 424 with Chris Brown. Welcome to another CG garage where the Chaos Group talks. You'll know it's over when the last bucket drops. We're gonna fire off rays in high dynamic range. We know that ambient occlusion is passe. Global illumination won't lead you astray. And while image based lighting is really swell. You need to make sure everything has for now. All right, well, Chris, the two Chris's are coming together and talk about uh, uh, some bunch of stuff. Obviously, you want to know a lot about uh, Pleroma. Pleroma, is that how it's pronounced? Yes, yes, it Uh, is. Okay, perfect. I do want to know about that, but let's get a little bit of a backstory and, and, and how you got into doing what you do. Obviously, you have a history in animation, and it's been doing that for a long time. How did you get that interest
1: I'll jump into that, but before I get started, I just want to thank you for having me on your show. I'm a huge fan of the podcast, and I got to say, uh, you have such incredible people on here that uh, it's just a big honor to be here. So thank you very much.
0: Well, I, I appreciate that. Yeah, now the podcast is, I didn't really know it was going to take off, so. <laughs> but here I am almost <laughs> nine years later, and I'm still doing them, so uh, but yeah, let's get into your stuff. Sure. Chris, let's let's figure out like, you know, w- what was the, the 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 movie that inspired you or whatever whatever sort of uh, got you excited about animation?
1: Well, I honestly I would say the the earliest memory I have getting really inspired about animation and filmmaking and visual effects as well is probably definitely early grade school. I I would guess even grade 3. Um okay. You know, I was, of course, I loved all the movies that were coming out around then, and I, you know, big fan of, of course, Star Wars and ET and and uh, Back to the Future. But I also like was super into Alfred Hitchcock movies for some reason, like thrillers, and I was also like just fascinated with creature features as well. So um, that stuff, for some reason, all just struck a chord with me at at that young age. So that uh, I found it all really inspiring.
0: Awesome, wonderful. Well, you should you should uh, join Martini Giant as we talk about movies all day
1: long. <laughs> oh, nice. I'd love to. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's in my my other podcast I do It's just about movies. So, uh, awesome. but yeah, okay. So, so you were really interested in filmmaking just in general at that at that age, right?
1: Yeah, super interested in filmmaking. In fact, I was so interested that I saved like again, grade three, I saved my allowance for months to finally afford this totally broken down uh, you know low quality uh, VHS camcorder it may, it may have been a high eight and uh, I purchased it from this dumpy little pawn shop so I got this used camcorder and it was I think it was just over a hundred bucks. And I just absolutely loved it. Like, I was obsessed with the thing, learning how to use it, uh, do, making films with it. I was shooting videos all the time. And uh, I would just constantly be making videos with friends from school and from the neighborhood.
0: Oh, wow. Okay, so what year are we talking about?
1: Oh, jeez. Uh, so this
0: must have been in the 80s or 90s? 80s, uh, right? I, uh,
1: probably, I would say early 90s, I would say. Okay. Yeah.
0: Okay. Wow. That's that's kind of amazing. And where were you at this time? (laughs)
1: Uh, I so I was born and uh, I was born in Montreal, and but I grew up most of my uh, youth in uh, Aurora, Ontario. So this is just north of Toronto. Okay. So um, and maybe it was part of not having a lot to do in Aurora as well. So this (laughs) is my sort of uh, my uh, my fun, so to speak. But anyways, I think I would have been fascinated with it no matter where. I grew up but That's um,
0: amazing. That's yeah. amazing. And so what got the what got you into animation? Obviously filmmaking and animation are slightly different. <laughs>
1: Oh, yeah. So basically, I, OK, so I'm, I'm making a ton of films with friends and videos, and they always had this sort of science fiction element to it. So what I did was um, I, I would always be introducing uh, special effects. So I would build model spaceships and then blow them up with firecrackers. I had these uh, creature puppets that would come in and attack people again, really into that whole like uh, uh, creature feature kind of thing. And I was just completely fascinated again with the whole process. Um, But as far as animation, um, I really started getting into stop motion animation. So I was like a big fan of playing with uh, plasticine and building sculptures. And I just started experimenting with claymation and making animated films with that. And uh, eventually on our home computer, we had this very simplistic... PC paint program that uh, was able to capture multiple frames so extremely crude like 8-bit style Mm -hmm. but uh, I was just able to stream together these uh, totally hilarious and bizarre animated movies that uh, you know I would just make and basically show friends and sometimes they would spill into the live action stuff and it'd be this weird sort of a mix of experimental filmmaking, but it always sort of had a story to it. So it wasn't so much experimental filmmaking, but more just, you know, just very interesting and weird kind of stuff.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, yeah, that's very, uh, very cool that you were doing. I mean, it reminds me a lot of uh, Super 8. remember the movie Super 8? <laughs> that,
1: totally. It's a, that, that movie was like uh, totally connected with me yeah I bet. Levels. especially the whole i like i love creatures and aliens but also the the filmmaking side so yeah that, that had a very familiar feeling to it
0: that's incredible well oh, cool okay so that's that sounds fascinating so did you eventually decide to go to school for this is, is that what you did
1: well what i what happened was you know i went to business school and that was very much a sort of uh a, uh, something to fall back on kind of thing. It just seemed like a more logical route, even though my heart was 100% into filmmaking and animation. But um, I just sort of forced myself on that path. And I actually learned a lot. And we can get to what I learned and how that affected my career later. But um, I was in school for my commerce degree. But while I was in school, I still had this obsession with working on these personal projects. So I would recruit uh, fellow students to be involved. And at that time, I really started getting into CG animation. So I got uh, one of the primitive versions of 3D Studio on uh, Mm -hmm. my home computer. And I just started uh, doing CG graphics with that in my spare time and just teaching myself Um, And I don't even think YouTube was around back then. And if it was, they certainly didn't have any tutorials on it or anything Mm. like that. So I'm like learning from textbooks that I ordered online. And it was a bit of a grueling process. But still, I was, you know, 100% committed. I was logging in hours every night. And then at lunch, I'd rush back to my dorm and be working on stuff. And I don't know, I was just having a blast with it. So after I finished my commerce degree, I decided then, OK, I, I really want to focus on this and take it seriously. So I did go to animation school. It was the Vancouver Institute of Media Arts. Yeah. And um, I sh- in my application, I showed my portfolio. And this is, you know, a, a bulk of stuff cut together that I had worked on just on my own. Mm-hmm. And they said, uh, we will let you into our 18-month program, but we think you only need to actually attend for six months because you're so far along. So I'm like – I was really excited about it. If I could be – go through the program in six months and be working in the industry quickly after that, I, I was like, sign me up. So, That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. It was, I was really lucky. And I think it was, it's just the hard work I, I put in ahead of time, I think, that that did it. I mean, absolutely so.
0: Right, right. Okay, so after you graduated from there, where did you start looking for jobs in that space?
1: Well, while I was in school, actually, before I graduated, I created a five-minute animated short film, and it was very okay. visual effects heavy, and it took place in the Victorian era, so it was very moody and stylized, and it was about these creatures, and that uh, particular film actually went on to... Uh, be accepted in 18 international film festivals around the world and won multiple awards. And this was like sort of my first time submitting something that I had made. And I, it got this incredible response. So I was that's pumped.
0: amazing. What was the name of the, the film?
1: Uh, Gib, Gibb, G I B B is named after the character Gibson. And uh, yeah, it was just this weird, creepy little film. But it, people just really enjoyed, I think, the stylistic of it. And sure. yeah, it was, it was cool. Um, yeah. I, I probably wouldn't show it to anyone now, but at the time <laughs> it was, people were really liking it. How so, long was the film? Uh, it was about five minutes long.
0: Okay. That was a lot of rendering back then.
1: <laughs> that, that was a brutal amount. In fact, uh, all the profs told me there's no way you can finish a five minute film. It's like, it'll be impossible. You won't finish it by the time you need to graduate. And to be honest, they were absolutely right. So what, what I did was, I, uh, I convinced the school to be on the security where I can help lock up late at night and, you know, set the alarms and that kind of thing. And, of course, <laughs> in those moments, I took full advantage to be working on my film on the computer equipment because I really had nothing to work on at home. Yeah. And uh, I, I was able to sort of stretch my stay out a little longer just to get the project finished. so.
0: Yeah, that's 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 really cool. I remember I was in a so I was doing my thesis in architecture school and I was also using 3D Studio at the time. And we didn't really have a render farm, so I just would do shots on different computers. And it was during Christmas break, so no one was there. So I just took over every computer in the lab <laughs> just, oh, totally. and just like put my name on everything. It's like if you need this computer, call me or whatever. But I was like, <laughs> I just rendering on everything. Oh, that's so, awesome! <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I know exactly what that's like. Well, that's pretty cool that you did, that that was able to achieve that. So that must have gotten you a lot of attention in some ways, right?
1: It did. I mean, it was, uh, again, like a lot of people were talking about it and sharing it around. I had a lot of people asking me if they can get uh, a copy of it just to to show their friends or even just I got a lot of interest, like I said, from the film festival. So it won some audience awards and that kind of thing. And the funny thing is, it wasn't like a like the film festival seemed to really like the the sort of art dramatic side but this was more of that again creature sort of thriller stuff but right. i think i think it was just the style that really uh that really made it take off so yeah it, was, awesome. it was pretty cool
0: that's awesome uh okay uh so so where where where, where did you go from here where's your journey after this <laughs>
1: So after that, I, uh, I worked in the visual effects and uh, gaming cinematic industry. I sort of bounced around from different shops, smaller sort of uh, shops. And uh, after a little while of doing that, my former teacher from animation school, who had no longer been working there, he, he had left recently, yeah. called me up and uh, asked if I wanted to help him out with some freelance work. So I was the only student he had contacted to do this. So I am like, yeah, definitely. I was very interested in trying the freelance thing. Right. So, so we started working on uh, a couple freelance jobs together. And it, oddly, before we even finished, another one would come in and then another one would come in and they'd each get bigger and bigger in scope. So we just said, like, why don't we just call ourselves a company, get some office space, give ourselves a name, and uh, we'll just start running this like a studio. And um, I was totally into that. So we were called Digital Alchemy Entertainment. right. And uh, these projects, it was just a very organic growth. So a new project would come in. Now we need a few more computers to rendering. Again, we didn't have a render farm at the time either. So we had to spread that out on some computers. And then we had to hire a few artists to help out. And then bigger projects came in. So we needed more artists. So eventually, we acquired the entire floor of a downtown building in Vancouver, Canada. Mm. And uh, it it was pretty cool. I mean, we were tackling live-action VFX work. We were also doing animated uh, television series work. We did commercials, both live-action and animated. I got to direct commercials. I even directed a series in partnership with Rainmaker at the time. Oh, right. And uh, and at one point, I remember walking into Chapters. And for people who don't know Chapters, it's basically the Barnes & Noble of Canada. Okay. I was able to walk in and see four cover stories of our about our company in various businesses and entertainment magazines. So, wow! I was like, we were flying high. Things were going fantastic.
0: That's amazing. So. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. And so, how long were how long did you guys at uh, the company for?
1: So we ran the company for nine years. Wow. So. It was uh, it was quite a long time. Didn't quite make it to a decade. Uh, what happened was um, there was the big stock market crash of two thousand yeah. and eight, uh, and everything dried up. And we were like, we were doing network television stuff, and there was no streaming back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Netflix was a blip on the radar. I think they were maybe early stage uh, mailing DVDs or something. But um, yeah, it was uh, it was pretty dry. Extremely mm. so. So you know, we held on for as long as we could, but um, I, I sort of had to eventually make the decision that it, it was time to start pursuing other opportunities.
0: Right. Right. So what? So what? What? What did you start looking for? What was, What were you? I mean, you sounded like you're much more of a generalist at this point, too, right?
1: I, I would say I still am a generalist. Like okay. I, I basically uh and even like uh style wise like I've dabbled in many different styles of certainly animation but also live action vfx work so just style wise I'd say I'm a generalist but even uh just as a hands-on artist I mean with my studio we wore many different hats so I was very much involved with even like technical coding like pipeline tools building out a pipeline but also um supervising the creative. So doing look development, whether it be hands-on or critiquing artists' work. And, um, and yeah, I was also like very much, uh, passionate about all areas of production. And I, I dove in right from modeling, surfacing, uh, rigging and, uh, like a big part, uh, lighting and compositing as well. So probably a, a big focus on that.
0: Gotcha gotcha yeah generalists are really pretty good at at, at lighting and compositing because yeah, <laughs> they yeah, kind of know what they they know what the final image is what they have in their head and they know how to get there right absolutely uh, okay well that's cool that's really great um, all right so after after alchemy uh, uh, shut down what were you guys where were you, where did you decide to move on to
1: well it, it, as i was super lucky by the way especially given the market at the time so bardell entertainment actually reached out to me Okay. And it it was like I had seen I had met the owners uh, Barry Ward and Delna Bisanya mm-hmm. quite a bit at different conferences as I'm sort of shopping around my studio for work, and uh, I I had you know built up a pretty good uh, mutual friendship with them and respect, and uh, so they had offered me a position at their studio to basically be a head of CG. So they were their studio was a 2D animation studio for a long time, but they were sort of just getting into CG Mm -hmm. and um, they had landed uh, two of their biggest clients and they they needed someone to sort of build out the infrastructure, but also uh, just make sure everything is as good of quality as it could be and just run run the whole CG side of things. So. Um, I thought it was a great opportunity. They felt it was a good fit just from my experience with running my own company. And they had known about how many hats I wore and and just how involved I was to pretty much every process. So, um, yeah, so they were really interested in working with me. So they brought me on Mm -hmm. and they had about 80 employees at the time. And uh, I helped grow the studio from 80 employees at one location to about 500 people at three locations. Wow. And all the time, I was like extremely, again, hands-on with not only the pipeline, but the creative critiquing. So it was very much a VFX soup uh, position that I was doubling as as well. So Sure. Um, but yeah, and I was even doing a hands-on look development tests to land new clients. So we would have some, uh, you know, big prestigious uh, film project that they brought or series, and they'd want to see some tests to make sure that either we can hit the quality or even offer a particular style or style options. So I was really involved with that, those early hands-on look development tests. And then I'd be in the room with the, uh, the clients, the executives, the creative directors on pitching the look and how we were able to achieve it for their particular project. So it was, it was pretty cool. And this all kind of like uh, has a lot of that business degree sort of circulating around in it as well. So it's, it was kind of uh, definitely uh, had an advantage there, I think
0: yeah that is interesting that you that your your business degree started to to come back into play uh, so what kind of work were you guys doing at Bardell
1: uh, we were doing some uh, we did some uh, feature animated series uh, animated work as well as series work but probably on the more uh, premium end of, of series development work okay. so we were doing work for Nickelodeon uh, DreamWorks on some of their highest uh, properties Um and, uh, we were doing like, uh, work also directly for Netflix as well. Okay. Um, full, full CG series, full animated series. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was super cool.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay, and so what was, where were you going from here?
1: Okay, so I, I was at Bardell for a, a decent chunk of time, we'll say. Sure. And uh, during that time, you know, I never gave up that passion for my own filmmaking. Right. And uh, also, again, still live-action visual effects was still a part of me that I really wanted to uh, just delve even more into. So I never gave that up. So while I was at Bardell, I was making my own independent film, live-action film. Yep. And uh, it was about alien abductions, and I shot all of it myself. So shot, wrote, directed, and uh, did all of the VFX work myself. So on-set VFX supervising, plus um, every aspect of post. So model, texture, rig, light comp. Uh, it was even doing effects sims in Houdini, and wow. uh, just integrating the whole thing together and, um, even some color grade, actually, no, you know, I did go to a studio for color grading actually, cause that okay. was the one thing that I hadn't had experience with. Right. Um, but yeah, I, and, uh, you know, I had a crew that was very generous with their time and effort and i managed to find some fantastic actors as well. Like I was completely blown away with what they, uh, they brought to the table. I mean, it was, uh, it was really cool. I, but- I, I loved it.
0: Is was this your first, no, I mean, I guess you were doing small live action things when you were a kid, but is this your first sort of bigger production? Live totally. Yeah, yeah.
1: Like this was my first sort of very serious, uh, take at the live action filmmaking thing. So right. definitely my, my, uh, biggest endeavor yet on a, on a personal project. Um, so yeah, when I completed it. Uh, I mean, we again, we had a, a crew of lighting and makeup and stuff like that, but still, I, I still was just fascinated with all of it. So. Sure. so when it was completed, that went on to be selected in about a, a dozen film festivals and it won the Leo Award for Best Visual Effects.
0: Oh, wow. That's awesome. That's awesome. And what was the name of that short?
1: Uh, that one was called Baiting the Abductors.
0: Awesome. Okay.
1: So that, that one, uh, actually, so for those who don't know, a Leo award is a provincial award for excellence in film and television, and, uh, it's awarded in for British Columbia work in British Columbia.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: yeah. I was like, I was really honored to have won that award because when I showed up at the ceremony, and they listed the nominees each production had a huge team of people so they would all cheer when each project was listed for no, for nominees for best visual effects right. and then when it got to mine i was like the only vfx artist on the team <laughs> so it was like it was pretty intimidating so i and i was just i was so thrilled to have won it it was uh, definitely that's awesome
0: that's it, it, yeah. it was awesome yeah yeah <laughs> 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 that's okay okay well that's an amazing story uh and and I, i'm assuming you know at, at some point you were you were there till what about 2018 or so
1: yeah yeah something yeah about 20 yeah that's right 2018 so okay. at that point so i had put in a good you know almost oh, just over half a decade there and right. uh you know so i i was ready to just start exploring and and thinking you know what else is out there Sure. And so DreamWorks had actually f- – there were some representatives from DreamWorks who actually flew out to Vancouver to have a meeting with me, and they went over a plan of how they wanted uh, me to move down to L.A., work directly at their headquarters, as a, first as a CG supervisor, and then uh, to move up as a studio visual effects supervisor to oversee the uh, look and style of all of their shows. So that was uh, – that was an incredible opportunity. I, you know, I, I definitely jumped at the chance for that. That was uh, super cool. So I and was moved that
0: DreamWorks up. TV. I mean, or, uh, yes. Right. Yeah. So it was part of uh, Mayo's team and all of that. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, um, so yeah, so I moved down to LA and of course uh, being a filmmaker, it's the place to be. Sure. So, um, so I moved out. Well, Vancouver
0: to, uh, ain't so shabby, <laughs>
1: Vancouver isn't so shabby either, but I kind of wanted to be in the heart of where, uh, like the executives were and like sort right. of the big studio decision makers were. Yeah. Um, and I just wanted to see that whole side of things. I mean, sure. don't get me wrong. I absolutely love Vancouver. Right. Um, but yeah, I just, it was a new experience and something to check out.
0: Sure. Sure. Okay. So did you uh, live uh, around DreamWorks? I mean, around Glendale? Or is that where you end up moving to? Uh,
1: well, close enough. I mean, I was in, uh, I moved to St- Studio City. It's where yep. I'm living right now. Got it. So, so. about a 15 minute drive. Yep. So definitely doable.
0: Yeah. 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 Awesome. Okay. So what shows did you work on when you were at DreamWorks?
1: Oh, a whole bunch. Uh, the first one we did was uh, the, so here, here was the thing. Uh Recently, after I started there, or sorry. Recently, before I started working there, uh, NBC Universal had bought DreamWorks. Right. So they had brought me to help oversee uh, one of NBC Universal's biggest franchises, which is the Fast and Furious franchise. Okay. So, so they wanted a to make an animated series for Fast and Furious. Yep. So that was my first show there, and uh, they really wanted to push like the cinematography to the extreme uh, and the effects as well. And like, they just wanted to go gangbusters with this whole approach. And, uh, and they, they said to me, like they, they, they really wanted sort of someone who has a cinematic eye for this type of thing, a real filmmaker type mentality. Um, So yeah, that was sort of the opportunity that I, I really, uh, I really jumped at. And it was, that was my first show there and it was super awesome and fun to work on. And very action packed.
0: Yeah, I bet. <laughs> I bet that's a pretty interesting thing. Did, were you a fan of the of the of the films?
1: Uh, I had seen them. Like I would say, I was a fan. You know, right, not a okay. diehard crazy fan, but definitely, yeah. uh, I I was entertained by them for sure. Awesome, awesome, I, cool, and cool. very excited to sort of put my uh, stamp on it, uh, uh-huh. even in my small corner of the franchise. But <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's so great. Well, very cool. Uh, all right. Well, uh, th- th- did you work on any other big projects while you were there? Or
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I worked on uh, Kung Fu Panda. Uh, yep. There are definitely some series. I'm not sure if I can say yet. Uh, Bad Guys was one. Um, definitely ones that haven't been released quite yet, so I don't okay. think I can mention them. But sure. uh, definitely a big half. Hamp- uh, the Jurassic Park uh, series, um, Camp Cretaceous. I was, uh, I was, I helped out in that. I mean, I had, we had, uh, they had their own, uh, lighting, compositing supervisor and effects supervisors, but I had moved by that point into a studio wide visual effects supervisor role. So I was able to help sort of, uh, work with them and check out what they were doing and stuff like that. But that show was pretty, uh, pretty well along at that point and doing really well. So, um, that's,
0: that's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, and I know more. Most recently, uh, you've actually been uh, part of uh, Sony Pictures Animation, right? Yes, yes. So you're part of SPA. So, what's going on at SPA? Oh,
1: <laughs> uh, there's a whole lot going
0: on at SPA. I am. A- uh, is it? Is it? Uh, I mean, obviously everyone's very excited about spider-verse but yes. <laughs> say, no, 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 that's
1: just a small thing that's going on there now that's yeah, yeah, huge yeah. obviously and that looks i got to uh i joined well i mean i i wasn't involved in it but i did get the chance to see some dailies for it and mm-hmm. it is like mind-blowing i i mean the uh the first one like how could you top that but this absolutely is insane and it's amazing so Um, Yeah, yeah, incredible, incredible work being done there. And like, I am just beyond thrilled to just be there and be amongst these people and uh, just, you know, being a part of what they're doing. So it's, it's super cool.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, I am, I am very excited to see that now. I, I don't know if you can tell me what projects you're on. Cause you have, <laughs> but
1: yeah, uh, no, I'm so, I'm so like new there that I don't think I can, uh, I can say, but, uh, I am involved as a sort of, uh, VFX supervisor for a new division that's starting. So okay. it's, um, that is a. I will say it's just a great opportunity, and we're growing a team there that uh, are just getting started. So one of the things that I'm just really enjoying is being able to be at such an early stage with their creative executives and their art directors and showrunners as these shows are just starting to get formed. So that's kind of and, like that amazing creative uh, moment to be a part of.
0: And you can't. I'm sure you can't necessarily talk about what that that the vision does or what it is.
1: Yeah, I don't, not comfortably.
0: Okay, <laughs> does, let's not do that. Okay, but I'm very curious. I'm very curious. I'll, I'll follow up. I'll well, I fa- definitely follow up. I wanna, I'm very curious what people do. Yeah, that's what I do. I try to get information. Yeah, uh, no problem. Uh, okay, so, but let's talk about Pleroma because okay. I'm very curious about that sh- that thing. How long have you been working on this?
1: So uh, Pleroma I made throughout the pandemic. So I guess uh, it was probably a two-year endeavor, but keep in mind, I was also, working full-time so we're talking evenings and weekends right um so yeah pleroma. uh yeah so guess two years over the pandemic um that was definitely my biggest personal project that i've ever done okay it's over 200 visual effect shots that's a lot (laughs) it, it was a lot especially since i was doing it entirely myself right so i again every stage of production i was i was like, basically the only guy. So, um, yep. I also shot it, uh, shot, directed, cut it together. Um, this one, I did color grade myself. And, uh, yeah, it was super cool. I, I loved working on it. So, it's done now. Okay. Uh, it's currently screening at the film festivals. So, it's it's getting a good response. Excellent. And, and uh, actually, one thing super cool and unexpected, well, something I've really wanted, but unexpected was um, a former executive producer at DreamWorks uh, caught wind of it and he saw it and uh, he was really excited about it. So he contacted me and he was like, what are you doing with this? This looks super cool. Can we work together in some way? And I said, look, I, my dream is to make a, this into a feature film. Okay, and nice. he, so he, he is currently a, uh, a writer, uh, writer working on a feature film at Paramount. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had been an EP, so showrunner, at DreamWorks for a while. And he has just a ton of experience. He's like a, a legend in the industry. His name is Tim Hedrick. Mm-hmm. And so he and I have uh, written the feature film script adaptation of the short, and we're just about ready to take that to market. So we're both really pumped about that.
0: That's so cool. I mean, that's the dream, right? That's oh, absolutely.
1: the dream. <laughs> Definitely. You
0: make your passion project, you make it your way, you make it the one, that, and then people say, we want to make, develop that even further. So that's really cool. Uh,
1: and, and that's the thing about, like, part of why I am I like to tackle all these elements is, like, when you work on these projects, when would you get the opportunity to like really have your hands on every aspect? It's almost unheard of for a uh, funded big production. So this is sort of like my chance to just really sink my teeth into everything, but also, uh, grow my skills and not only artistically, but technically as well. So that when I am VFX supervising, um, I can really, you know, talk terms with the artists and help, you know, help offer suggestions on pretty much all levels. And that, you know, that's a big part of why I do it.
0: Absolutely. No, I I totally get it. Uh, well, tell us a little bit about the story. What's the tell us what Ploroma is all about?
1: All right, so the plot of the film Pleroma is basically about a... Uh, corporation but it takes a whole flip to the idea that robots will take over the lower-level jobs but instead in in this particular story it's the top executive uh, chief executive officer of the company which is a super intelligent AI so all the human workers are carrying out the orders from the AI so the philosophy of the people working there is that this AI is infinitely smarter than Albert Einstein, so who are we to know what's best? We'll just do whatever this uh, super intelligence tells us to do. Right. So what ends up happening is the AI eventually turns on the workers of this manufacturing plant, so it's up to a discarded prototype robot to crawl out of the wreckage to help the humans and eventually, hopefully, save the day.
0: Interesting. <laughs> interesting. and But the motivation of the, I mean, I was, that's interesting. So what is the motivation of the super intelligent AI to have humans is because it it's building things for it or what is it trying to do? Basically. Right. Yeah.
1: So it, it is basically having the humans build a technology for it. So super advanced technologies that they can then profit off of, but uh, there is sort of this uh, underlying sinister element to it. And, you know it ha- it's a bit of an allegory for corporations that are run more like um like w- without the humanity part of it sure. it's just purely obsessed with with profit and it just takes that to an extreme so it, it's sort of the classic uh robot uh analogy or ai analogy with stories that uh, it's it's sort of a a uh, genie in the bottle. Careful what you wish for, kind of thing. Because sure. taken to an extreme, could lead to a very dangerous place. So that's kind of the idea.
0: Yeah, for sure. I get. Well, I get it. I get it. That uh, uh, sounds. And like I said, it's that's uh, it's becoming more relevant every day with <laughs> with what AI is happening today. You really don't know what where we're going into it. Um, but what were some? of the, Obviously, you have. You, so you obviously have robots that you were trying to animate. Is that correct? <laughs>
1: Yes, yeah. So there are four different robots and the I guess the style approach was um so this prototype that gets built is was built by someone outside of like someone working on a home project where it's sort of uh very much built as a life-saving device. So it is very and it's it's crudely built. You see uh, all the machine parts, you see the pistons and the hinges and it's got over a hundred different cables and wires hanging off of it all of which had dynamics mm-hmm. and um, you just really see the guts of it sort of clunking and walking around and uh, Yeah, so that that was uh, very much designed and the whole design approach for the film was to try and make it as photoreal as possible and Very grounded in present day. So the every shot is especially of these machines is meant to be something that you could mistake for a video from uh Boston Dynamics for example. Right. So right. so it it wasn't like distant future or even near distant future. It's supposed to feel very much like right now. Right, right. It's, So, so yeah, so that was one of the robots. So very complicated. I had no, and I I didn't want to do any cheats either. So I I did a ton of research on the design of robots from Boston Dynamics and DARPA as well. And uh, just how they worked. Like I I was able to find a lot of schematics and just uh, how the, like I said, how the different pistons and hinges and swivels worked. And I built all of those controls. So it was a very Uh, complicated rig but with a more simplistic rig built on top so that I could you know easily animate with it sure and then uh, there's a more sinister robot that has almost a sort of rubbery coating so it looks like almost looks kind of like a mannequin I would say or like a G.I. Joe action figure uh, but human size and the idea of that was this was the corporation, so it's got this rubbery coating. So it's got this sort of like facade, uh-huh. right? The 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 hero, you see the insides, you can see what it's all about, but this one has this sort of uh, almost, you know, a, a fake sort of. I'm trying to look human, but not quite getting there. Almost uh, uncanny valley. Uncan- <laughs> exactly, uncanny valley, but like used to the purpose of the story. Yeah. So, yeah, I get yeah. it.
0: <laughs> You know, it's interesting. That, Valley, the Uncanny Valley—the original term was for robotics. That's what they used it for originally. So uh, that's very interesting. I like the fact that you're using that as we're trying to look human to try to be to get empathy from the humans, but it's so creepy. It's turning us off. <laughs> Exa-
1: exactly, and it's kind of like corporate advertising and like that whole facade. Like uh-huh. I, I was trying to work that into the whole stylistic approach for these these robots so there there was another robot that was that i felt was super cool that i spent a ton of time on and what it is is this big sort of disc that uh that um rolls and unfolds into a crab and can like chase and attack people or but it's it all of the designs are meant to look like they are Uh, very industrial, like for a construction site, except for this guy with the coating. That's sort of like the face of the company from a robotic standpoint. But this machine unfolds into this crab and can crawl up walls and do all kinds of things. And uh, that one I had a, uh, I put a lot of effort into the design of because the way it folded in, I had to research how all these different types of hinges work and can fold in on themselves. And, uh, and how it could unfold, and the mechanics of how it can make itself roll, even though it's like one disc, essentially. Mm-hmm. So I put a lot of work into, like very realistically depicting how all of that would work. And I, I like, was obsessed that I would absolutely not do any cheats. Like it could actually fold, there's no geometry crashing in on itself. There's no things just spitting out of the machine just because it looks cool. It's like it all had to fit. Right. Right. So, yeah.
0: Okay. Well, that's pretty, pretty cool. Uh, all right. So, you said you had 200 shots of visual effects. How long was this whole se- short for?
1: <laughs> the short is 10 minutes long.
0: And you had 200 shots in 10 minutes.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, pretty much every shot was an effect shot. Right. And there was a lot of action, like, very fast, cutty stuff. So, like, the, the action, like, really ramps up. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, the, that's pretty much what I was able to cram in there. So,
0: but did you, how did you do the, the I mean, you said this was during the pandemic, right? So, how was mm-hmm. how was your, you able to do your shooting during the pandemic?
1: Well, I mean, there's very few actors in it. So, there was only like a couple people and they are meant to be working in a laboratory, so they had full hazmat suits on, so obviously that was pandemic friendly. <laughs> yeah. Um <laughs> i also uh i had a i have an actress and who's also a producer who i partner with a lot on these projects her name is kiana alitaha so mm-hmm. she doubled as a producer and actor yep um so i was able to you know keep the crew small and lean and and just you know do our thing
0: awesome awesome what did you shoot it on
1: uh, i shot it on a canon 5d mark ii so nice you know Decent, has got a good look to it, especially when I have some really nice lenses. Yeah. Um, certainly not the newest camera out there, but again, I wanted more of that uh, cinema verite kind of look, and it just very much lent itself to that. So That's cool. It, it kind of fit the style.
0: That's cool. I saw the trailer for it, and it's pretty great to see that. I can't wait to see the, the full thing. Uh, awesome, but That's okay. High so- praise from you. Thank
1: <laughs> you. <laughs> I know. I know your background, so uh, I, I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah.
0: You did a lot of a lot of effects in there. There's so a lot of sort of. Des- des- designed Is there's some Houdini in there. What did you use to, to do this?
1: Yep. Yeah, so yeah, I I went all out with the Houdini. <laughs> so Houdini for ex- like. Uh, there's a ton of explosions in it. Uh-huh. So I I really I wanted this almost like saving private Ryan moment where the, the hero robot is running with just massive explosions going all around. So that was all Houdini. Right. Uh, I even used Houdini. There's a swarm of these drone robots yes. that uh, they sort of uh, expand with electrical energy and have this sort of energetic uh, electrical core, mm-hmm. um, almost like uh, one of those Tesla, Tesla sphere, Tesla balls. Oh you know, yeah. Those ones you touch on the, yeah electrical bolt so it's got that kind of vibe with a metallic uh, a plasma okay. yeah like a plasma but like with floating metal plates around it yep. um, so that those assets were all built procedurally in Houdini and uh, they had so I had created uh, Houdini digital assets that can be fed into a um, I guess a, a for loop or what have you to, to like totally randomize them sure and control them as a swarm. So some of them would have like bigger, different pieces and stuff like that, just to get a lot of variety. So some uh, some Houdini procedural asset building, as well as sort of like the typical effects sims and stuff like that.
0: Awesome. And so you again, this is you know, but you did this over a close of two years, and that's a lot of work to do, even on lights and weekends, right?
1: It was. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was completely crazy. I mean, when when people ask me how how I did it, I basically just say I at w- whatever time someone would devote to watching TV, playing video games, going for a walk in the park, I pretty much devoted to to this project. But again, it was it was my fun. It was my passion. So I was just 100 percent invested. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a, a really cool that you were able to do that. And it looks like you're getting some traction. So when, when did they go into festivals? Uh,
1: it's start, uh, when did, when did it start? I think, um, probably I would say just very early in the new year. I mean, it started getting accepted into festivals around December, but okay. in the new year, like January the screening started happening. So, uh, it started getting screened and then, the momentum from that I ended up getting into some magazine articles so I was on a cover story for AWN so Animation World yeah. Network uh, VFX World Magazine yeah. uh, before and afters magazine and uh, and a, a magazine that's totally devoted to to art like not even the VFX industry at all it's like you know artists with like massive paintings and sculptures and stuff so they did a story on it because they just loved the the design of the robots and they, they just seem really interested in what went into them. So yeah, it's, it's in this sort of artsy magazine. That's pretty cool.
0: That's pretty cool. I mean, it sounds, I mean, looking at this, I mean, how much inspiration do you get from people like Neil Blomkamp and those, those guys?
1: (laughs) Neil Blomkamp is like my biggest inspiration. Yeah. Like I I love, I love Neil Blomkamp. I, I, I would say, you know as a filmmaker the one film out there that i wish i could say i made that would have been district nine like that was really uh groundbreaking for me and it uh yeah a huge inspiration and i I mean i watch all of his stuff all of his shorts uh you know the oat Studios stuff like i just eat it up basically his commercials too
0: well i mean his story is not dissimilar from yours i mean District nine was started as a short called alive in Joburg, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's very similar about a robot and all that other stuff that was happening. So I think that's really interesting to sort of see how, how, how this happens that, that you get, you're able to sort of look at that history and, and be inspired. Cause I think it's really great. I think just, just that idea of, you know, what he's doing and, and what you're doing seems very, very, very cool. Um, All right. Well, what were some of the biggest challenges you had besides obviously just a huge amount of work?
1: I I can I can lay one on you. Okay. This is uh, (laughs) so it's pretty intense. So, uh, so one of the one location that I absolutely had to film at was uh, I'm not sure if you've heard of it. It's called the it's called Triumph. It's Canada's particle nuclear physics laboratory.
0: Okay, like a super collider of some kind?
1: Exactly, a super collider, uh, and uh, they have—it's like three football fields of just machinery packed into this place. Wow. Uh, People with lab coats walking around with clipboards and analyzing things. You'll see, (laughs) like—it almost looked like I put a fog machine on set. In some instances, there's just fog billowing, but it's, like, legit coming from their equipment. (laughs) Like, it was incredible. So— I approached them to shoot on their location, and they said, like, categorically, no way in hell. Do you know how many times people ask us to film here? Okay. And, uh, and, but now here's a, here's a little tidbit from the past. I had done... Uh, physics simulations for them with my company, Digital Alchemy. So it was like a corporate gig, where they had me do these particle physics. Uh, so they could, their scientists could sort of analyze, you know, visualize what's happening, and they can demonstrate that to people. And um, I, we just formed a good working relationship during that time. So they said, we will let you come in for one day and film, only because of the relationship we have with you. So um, I I was both thrilled, but also the pressure was on big time because I only had one day and it was like my the location. Mm -hmm. So um, and it, it played perfectly into the story because look wise, I wanted the film to not feel like a. I don't know, how would I, like an Apple store. Like, it wasn't sci-fi, clean, white, and stuff like that. I wanted it, like, really industrial and mechanical with, like, sparks going off and machines moving. Like, the kind of play, because it's a thriller. So I kind of wanted it to feel like even just being there felt dangerous. Like, you can put your hand somewhere. It could either get fried or some machine would, like... So I just, I wanted that vibe. So, again played not that it's a dangerous place but uh, it definitely looks really intense Mm -hmm. and um so yeah i was super lucky to film there but that of course brought its own challenge because i only had a day right so i basically was in full sprint mode to grab as much footage as possible and uh, what i ended up doing was i had to because i didn't i didn't nearly get the the amount of uh, content that i needed so i had to rebuild a lot of those environments myself Mm -hmm. So I, I did a lot of photogrammetry, hand sculpting, um, relighting, like obviously lighting to try and get a photo real match. And um, so, yeah, like that was a huge challenge just to try and rebuild a seamless sort of uh, manufacturing plant that could feel like it's just part of the film. So big challenge. And they even had to scan us for radiation in certain parts of the uh of the laboratory because some, some of the equipment gave off some radiation. So you can only be there for a little bit and you'd have to leave and they'd scan you and come back. Wow. Um, Apparently a girl who worked there was her ponytail was touching one of the machines while she's, you know, busy working away on something. And when she was leaving, they scanned her and like her ponytail had too much radiation. So they had to cut the whole thing (laughs) off. Wow. This this was, this was, uh, this was, uh, you know, This has happened in the past, but I think it's the story they tell for people to be, you know, very careful of what they're touching and where they're going and how long they are in certain
0: areas. That's pretty intense. Yeah, I can imagine (laughs) that's not. Uh, glad you're an independent film. You wouldn't have, if it was done anywhere else. You're not getting the insurance to go. There.
1: <laughs> oh hell no, hell no. Yeah. There's no way. And like we only had like three people on the set at the time. Sure. So it was it was very uh, low maintenance as far as they were concerned. Well, that's so, pretty awesome that you were able to do
0: out. that and 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 figure that out. Okay. Well, listen, uh, uh, generally speaking, when with, with films like this that go into festivals, this one's in festivals, you have to sort of wait till it goes through all of its festival cycle before you can release it online. Do you have an idea of when that's going to be?
1: Uh, I would probably say in early fall.
0: Early fall. It'll, okay. So we'll, it'll we'll definitely... Uh, we'll definitely follow that. So le- actually, you know what? Let us know when that happens, and then we can go back into the podcast notes and add the link to it so people can check it uh, out. That'd
1: be fantastic. Well, yeah. actually, if if you want, you can add a link to for people to see the trailer. Yeah, well, I'm totally gonna do that. Stuff. No,
0: I will definitely okay, put the trailer great. in in uh, in this. Okay, awesome. As well, so.
1: but and if they're if they're interested, there's uh, also a trailer for the Alien Project and uh, some some of the other stuff I've worked on. If if that's of interest, so yeah, no, I can we'll share put that as well.
0: Yeah. All of those links will add for sure, for sure. Awesome. Well, listen, Chris, has been really amazing hearing your story. I'm excited to see, you know, obviously this short when it comes out, uh, but also find out all the crazy things that you're doing over at Sony and excited to find out what's going on there. Uh, and it was a real pleasure. Thank you so much for reaching out to me about this project and telling me about it. I'm so glad we were able to have you on the podcast.
1: Awesome. And thank you so much. I, I I'm truly honored to be here.